0: of heights to the depths of the sea
1: verse 14 and Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him what did these men say to you and from where did they come and he said from Babylon and what have have they seen of your house and Hezekiah they've seen everything there's nothing among my treasures that I haven't shown them and and this was very naive of Hezekiah every creature's unique
0: Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Hezekiah thought that displaying his wealth would impress the Babylonians. All it did was show them what the kings of Judah had and what they could get from them. One day the kings of Babylon would come and take it all away. This was fulfilled under the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. It would be more than a hundred years before Babylon carried away the royal treasures of Judah. But they did come, just as Isaiah prophesied. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he concludes chapter 20 in the book of Second Kings.
1: ...backward by which it had gone down on the sundial or the stairway of Ahaz. Notice that the shadow came back 10 degrees. It doesn't say the sun itself did. Now, could God do that? Could God make the sun? Yes, he could. And it's very possible he did. And I'm not offering any solutions. If you know, But it, it's, it is interesting how it says the shadow. He brought the shadow back. Now, God, who made uh, the, all the laws of the universe and set everything in motion, can he pull back something and let it go again and, and it'll keep going? I mean, he could do that. Is it possible that somehow he refracted that light by another heavenly body at the, at, just at that moment to come and intercede for it and it would reflect and do something unique? He could have done that too. I kind of like the bigger thing myself. I don't really care how he did it. And there's been a lot of debate. No, you, know, you can get into all that and people argue about stuff like that. I don't. I'm like, whether it's the shadow or the sun makes no difference. Either way, he did it. Either way, he did it. God did a similar thing in Joshua's life. In Joshua chapter 10, he he allowed the day to go extended much, much, much longer. And what did God do there? It just says that he stopped the sun and the moon and it halted. So can he do it? I think he can. I think he's big enough to do it. If he's able to speak and it comes into existence, I think even in the natural laws of order, he can, if he so chooses, he can do something that would normally cause chaos in the universe, and he has the ability to fix it in real time at the moment. Just like that. How big is your God? I think he's that big. Because if he can speak and something comes in, if I said, Lord, a cheeseburger right now would be really nice a big fat one with cheese on it, right here. And all of a sudden, a plate appeared, and then I'm waiting for the the cheeseburger to show up. And God will go, psych, (laughs) not going to bring you that, no. So you get the idea. I think he's big. Now, remember that God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. Now, between verses 11 and 12, and I hate to do this to you, but I'm going to. Between verses 11 and 12, is what could be called Hezekiah's lament and his praise. It's not recorded for us here in 2 Kings chapter 20, but it is recorded in Isaiah chapter 38, specifically verses 9 through 20. And I'd like to read that, just read it to you, because this is the lament at this point in time where... Hezekiah is pouring out his heart to God. Again, it's not in, recorded here, but it is recorded in Isaiah chapter 38, 9 through 20. And this is what it is. This is the writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. He said, in the, I, I said, in I, uh, Hezekiah speaking, I said, I'm in the prime of my life. I shall go to the gates of Sheol. I'm deprived of the remainder of my years. I said, I shall not see Yah or Yahweh. The Lord in the land of the living. I shall observe no more, no man, no more among the inhabitants of the world. My lifespan is gone. Taken from me like a shepherd's tent. I have cut off my life like a weaver. He cuts me off from the loom. From day unto night you make an end of me. And I have considered... Uh, until morning, uh, I have considered until morning like a lion, so he breaks all my bones. From day into night, you make an enemy. It sounds very similar to David's lament. But here Hezekiah is pouring out his heart to God what he felt when he was on, on the verge of death. What shall I say? He has both spoken to me, and here's where things turn around. And he himself has done it. I shall walk carefully all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O oh Lord, by these things men live, and all and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So you will restore me and make me live. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. But you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. Never forget that verse, saints. If I, Hezekiah can say that, when God forgives you, what does he do? He chooses to never look on it again. You're going to always think about what you've done, perhaps, but I would encourage you to forget it as quickly as God forgets it because when it is under the blood of Christ, he's never going to go look back and go, remember what you did three weeks ago? I can't believe what you did. You remember that horrible thing you did and the thing you thought? If it's under the blood, he's going to go, I don't know what, what, what did you do last week? What did you do three weeks ago? And the devil's going, I'll tell you. He goes, shut up. I chose to forget it. Why? Because the blood of Christ covers it. And when the blood of Christ covers it, God forbid that any of us should go and look at it again. If you're struggling tonight over something that you've never forgiven, God has forgiven you, but you haven't forgiven yourself, get over that. (laughs) Let God heal you of that. And move on. Don't let your growth of your own walk with Him be stunted, overthinking, you know, your thoughts. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, He will. Therefore, we will sing songs with stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. I love that. Now I'm going to move quickly. Now as we get through, now we're um, we're going on to verse twelve here. And it says, at that time, Baradak Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, he sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Now, Beredek Baladin was king of Babylon uh, on two different occasions. The first one was in 722 to 710 BC, and his second stint was in 703 to 702 BC. And Sargon, remember we talked about him, he was um, the one who was probably the one who led the northern captivity uh, after Shalmaneser died in 705. It was probably Sargon, his son, who actually took the children of Israel into uh, Assyria. But um, Sargon II dethroned Baradek Baladin around 710 BC. And um, and thus, and, and the purpose of this visit of Beredec Baladin was evidently to make an alliance with Hezekiah against Assyria because Assyria at this time was the leading empire and Babylon was being was intimidated by Assyria as well so now that Assyria is coming down to Hezekiah and threatening so now comes so an ambassadorship down to Hezekiah, seeking maybe to form perhaps an alliance, and this explains why we see what happens next. And Hezekiah was attentive to them; he saw them, and he knew they weren't enemies at the time. So he's thinking to himself, "Well, these guys really want what we want. We want to get Assyria off of our off of our backs." And so Hezekiah showed him all the house of his treasures: the gold, the silver, spices, precious ointment, everything. Verse 14, And Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say to you, and from where did they come? And he said, From Babylon. And what have have they seen of your house And Hezekiah? They've seen everything. There's nothing among my treasures that I haven't shown them. And, And this was very naive of Hezekiah, because in thinking that he might have an ally in Babylon, he was actually allowing their future captors to case his kingdom ever seen what a thief does before he breaks into a bank he probably goes in there several times looking at everything looking at where the cameras are finding out everything finding out when this guard comes on duty he's casing the place and this is what these guys were doing then isaiah said to hezekiah hear the word of the lord (laughs) i don't know if i want to hear that behold the days are coming when all that's in your house What your fathers have accumulated unto this day, all of it shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you. Notice that. Whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. No doubt this is a reference to, at the very least, Daniel. Daniel and his three comrades. And it also includes Ezekiel. Because we know there were three deportments of Jews when, he- when Babylon finally did come against Israel, Jerusalem. In 606, he came and he took 10,000 captive. And among though, that first deportment was Daniel and his three fellows and the very best of Judah, including, we believe, Ezekiel. Actually, I know he got carried captive, but whether he's first, second, or third deportment, I don't really know. So, verse 19, so Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word which the Lord said is good. For he said, Will there not be peace and truth, at least in my days? (laughs) In other words, I'm probably not going to have to worry about this, but I accept the punishment. I'm sorry (laughs) for those of you who are down in history that I haven't, the kids that I haven't even begat yet. I'm sorry that because of my disobedience, you're going to be the recipients and do, do you realize how choices are important the choices that you make are important aren't they the choices that we make so it is at this point immediately after this cuz remember i told you that second kings 20 verses 1 through 19 fit right in between Verses 17 and 18 of chapter 18, right? So all of this happens. And then, what happens after what we just read? The second and final invasion of Sennacherib against Jerusalem. And we read about that last week in chapter 19. We read about that, how Sennacherib taunted Israel and taunted Judah, told them, your God is nothing, your people are nothing. We'll give you money. We'll even give you horses if you can find ten, you know, find a, enough men to ride them and, and, and do battle with us. So finally, after all of that, we see finally Hezekiah. It says in verse 20, Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, all his might, and how he had made a pool, notice this, a pool and a tunnel and brought water into the city. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Well, funny you should ask, because it is. We've read some of it tonight. In Second Chronicles 32, verse 1-4, through 4, what does it say? After the, these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah, and this was his second time, and he encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. And when Hezekiah saw Sennacherib come, that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. Thus many people gathered together who stopped all the springs and the brooks that ran through the land, saying, why should the king of Assyria... Here you come and find much water. And then in verse thirty of Second Chronicles thirty two, it says this This same Hezekiah also stopped the water outlet, stopped the water outlet of Upper Gihon, and brought literally straight the water by tunnel to the west side of the city of David, and Hezekiah prospered in all his works. So what happened was Zion remembers this little sliver of land just to the south of the temple mount. The Temple Mount is here, and then right south of that, there's this little sliver of land. And so what they did is they stopped up the waters on the east side, because this is the the Kidron Valley, and over here is the Mount of Olives. And so they stopped up this water, and they brought it inward, and they built a tunnel, and that tunnel went straight over to the Pool of Siloam, which is on the western side of the city of David, or Zion, this little sliver of land. So about 1,500 feet straight, they did this. It's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. You guys went to it recently, didn't you? Right. Yeah. But they, they, they had these men, and it was a tunnel that Hezekiah, his men, had cut through from the Gihon Spring to the Pool of Siloam, which is still there today. We visit the Pool of Siloam. Most of it's covered with dirt, and the, the Roman Catholic Church has bought all the land, and they won't uncover it. And so they, um, they but some of it is exposed. Maybe Is it all exposed now? They're doing work. They're, they're, they must have got the permission, so they're going to get all that. It would be a great tourist spot, and so they're, you know, whatever. So anyway, so it was a very, uh, <laughs> They uh, and so there's a Siloam inscription, and I, I just want to mention this to you because this is really an amazing thing that happened. There was an inscription uh, that was discovered in 1880 along the the southern part of, down by the Pool of Siloam, about 19 feet inward, there was an inscription that the The builders, when they were building this way back at this time, some twenty five twenty seven hundred years ago, they wrote in Hebrew on the side of the wall, they chiseled it in there and um, and what they did is uh, and it describes the engineering feat that it was for these men digging with hammers and pickaxes, how they met. In the middle, and and, and, and so they, they built a straight thing, and it certainly it meandered, but they met in the middle. And think of how hard that is back in those days to get on two sides of rock and then be digging and come and get to the same point in the middle. And that's what they did. And the original stone, the Siloam inscription, is they have a, um, it's a, uh, uh, what do they call it? It's a, um, uh, it's it's a it's a fake that they have there now. What do they call that? Um, oh, yes, thank you for the term. Yes, they have a replica there now, but the original one is guess where? The original Siloam inscription, somebody carved out of the wall, and now it's in a um, a Turkish museum in the Istanbul Archaeological Museum, archaeology museum, and they won't give it back to Israel. <laughs> Even to this day, they've made attempts to get it back, and they haven't gotten it back. So there's a, a replica there on the wall. It looks exactly like it was. And the same thing in the uh, Israel Museum. They have it there, too. But I want to read to you the inscription. This is just really fun stuff. And I, I want to We'll end here, but this is really interesting. So Hezekiah had this tunnel made, and he did it for the purpose of preserving a water supply for the people when Assyria came the second time. And notice this. The passage reads this. The tunnel And this is the story of the tunnel. While the pickaxes were each against each other, and while three cubits were left to cut, the voice of a man called to his counterpoint, counterpart. For there was Zada, whatever that is, in the rock on the right. And on the day of the tunnel being finished, the stone cutter struck each man towards his counterpart, axe against axe, and then water began to flow from the source of the pool for twelve hundred cubits and um and, and, and cubits and was the height uh, the height over their heads was another hundred of of the when the stone cutters were cutting, and so the idea is they they started at different ends and they probably used soundings or whatever, and they just started chiseling and they started chiseling, and then they 're listening and they 're chiseling and they 're listening for the other people down there and they 're listening and they 're following and pretty soon. They hit through, and you can you, you see it. A, you can almost see a movie, you can't in your head. They they pick the axe through, and all of a sudden a piece chunks out, and there's the other guy on the other side, and the, and then the water starts to flow, you know. And that's how it all happened, and it's there today. You can walk through it. Did you guys walk through it this time? Yeah, you can walk through it. It's amazing. What's that? Cold. It is cold. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you don't want to do that unless you really uh, are serious. But a very interesting thing. But notice. Verse 21, so Hezekiah rested with his fathers. And then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. And so, be encouraged by Hezekiah because he was a good man, but he wasn't a perfect man. He made his mistakes. And did you notice that God, knowing all things about Hezekiah, He didn't upbraid him. He didn't speak ill of him. I mean, whether the sickness that he had had anything to do with the things that he was doing, nobody really knows, I guess. But there was a point in his reign where things were going really well, and it started to go to his head a little bit. But God had a way of humbling him, and he did. And see, there's the difference. What is the difference between a man like David and a man like Saul? Well, David, when he was caught in his sin, he broke like an egg. And he repented of his sin, and he was never the same again. Meaning, he never did that again. He, it happened, he was broken, he was never the same man again. And the Lord had his way with David, and he was a, a man after God's own heart. And God knew that about David, and that's why God loved David so much. Hezekiah was very similar to that. When the pressure came on and he realized he got a little too big for his britches, that he did a few wrong things, he wasn't an idolater, though. He was a a man who loved God with all of his heart. And he had some issues. And you notice that God doesn't say, you know, there was no king like him before him or after him, except for the few things that he did. Let me itemize those just for for the paparazzi to write down. No, he doesn't say any of that. He just says simply, this man is a wonderful man. Aren't you glad you serve a God like that? And when he looks on you tonight, that's his heart for you. And why? Because there has been an advocate already that has gone to pay your price of your sin and my sin. That ought to encourage you. I hope it does. Let it encourage you, saints, because your sins have been forgiven. If you're a believer in Christ, and then all we have to do is confess. Confess our sins before him daily. And know that the blood of Christ covers those sins. And like, I, like Hezekiah said, he'll never look upon them again. He throws them behind his back. He chooses to never look at them again. Why? Because of the merit of Christ. Not even for our sake does he do this, but he does it for Christ's sake. I like that. That takes the pressure off me because I know my performance is not so great. Do you follow? Can anybody say amen to that? Amen, yeah. What a great God we serve. Huh? So next week we'll get into Manasseh, and unfortunately it's going to be a, an abyss because we were just on this high roller coaster of this wonderful man. Now it's going to go, meow. but keep your chin up because right after him comes another really great man, Josiah, and he's going to lift it right up to the stars again, and then the abyss happens and they never recover, and that's the sad part. See, that's why it's good to focus on Christ. Don't even focus on your, the negative things, your sins. Uh, don't think about them too much. Repent of them, turn from them, and don't think about them again. Better to think about Christ rather than your failures, right? Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for this uh, opportunity, again, to uh, just be in your word. And Lord, we thank you for Hezekiah and uh, his example and we thank you, Lord, that even you recorded by your Spirit these uh, a few chinks in his armor. But, Lord, we all have chinks in our armor. We have little wrinkles we ha- in, in our armor. We have little holes in our shields. And, Lord, we pray that you would cover us in the blood of Christ and just help us to be always encouraged and, and never to be... Um, uh, don't let the enemy condemn us, Lord. And don't let our own hearts condemn us either, Father. So... Have your way with us tonight, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. That's the
0: end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday at area code 585